can't stop the feeling. Man, I don't know about you, but when you listen to a song like that, maybe even that song, sometimes it just makes the whole world feel like it's a better place, right? Like, I'm feeling good about me, I'm feeling good about you, I'm feeling good about life, and I think everything's just going to be good forever, or at least for the four minutes that this song lasts. Because <laughs> if I'm honest with myself, I don't always feel that way. Like, we sing can't stop the feeling, but what do you do when the feeling stops? You see, that's why in our series, Shape, we're using these shapes as a metaphor for how to find new patterns for family success. Because you and I both know that if I'm relying on feeling, if I'm going to base my day on how I feel, that is way too up and down and back and forth. One day is going to be great because I just, I feel that way. But if I feel off today, then it's going to be terrible and that's going to affect everybody around me. But what if there was a different pattern? What if there was a, a different shape that could help us with family success? Because in the last few months, a lot of us have been forced into new patterns, whether we like it or not. I'll, I'll bet as you're watching this today, you've got a new pattern for work, a new pattern for, for Zoom calls. You know, you've got a new pattern for family dynamics, a new pattern for what you can do and not do when you're out in public, a new pattern for school. I, I think one of the greatest challenges for families in the last few months has been what do I do when my kids are home all the time and all of a sudden, like, I'm the teacher. And what if that happens again this fall? We've got to figure out whole new patterns. But what I want to encourage you with is that the things we're looking at in this series, this crisis, this weird time creates the perfect time to reimagine some of those things because everything's up in the air anyway. But these things are not only good in a crisis. If we learn these things together, these will benefit us throughout all of life. And so there is a specific shape that we're going to look at today to help us understand this pattern. Because what if there was a new pattern that would help me navigate all of these things in a healthier way to bring greater success to myself and my family? So to help us get there, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a big cozy nest nestled in the limbs of a towering tree. Mama Bird was away gathering food when the trio of her eggs began to hatch. The first two chicks exited their shells quickly and began to look toward the third. Brenda and Betty, the little gray newborns, watched with astonishment as their sibling emerged from his egg. Victor was the most beautiful shade of purple. He stretched out his wings and the shiny feathers sparkled in the sun. Word quickly spread about Victor's magnificent purple wings. As folks peered into the nest, he'd flap them elegantly. The sun reflecting off of Victor cast a purple glow over the whole town. Brenda and Betty would gather worms and bring them back to Victor, whose growing stream of admirers made him far too important to hunt. And it made his pride grow too. He was now far too busy to say thank you to Brenda and Betty for their help. As more and more gawkers arrived, the purple bird became a bona fide celebrity. Spreading his wings all day made Victor hungry, and he would regularly command his sisters to fetch his meals. One day, after a busy week of hosting visitors, Victor commanded his siblings, Brenda, Betty, I am hungry! There was no reply. The sisters, tired of Victor's arrogance, had flown away to a new nest. 
It's okay, he thought. One of my fans will bring me food. Victor angled his mighty appendages toward the sun and fluttered. The royal reflection glittered as usual, but no one came. He flapped a little harder, but still no response. Unbeknownst to the purple bird, an orange turtle down by the lake was now getting all the attention. The people were no longer interested, and Victor had been too self-involved to learn to gather food. Mama was gone. Brenda was gone. Betty was gone. All his fans were gone. Victor sat down in the nest, tired, hungry, and alone. He quietly folded his feathery arms, tucked them under his chin, and began to cry. As he drifted off to sleep, Victor noticed that his once triumphant wings looked a lot like a broken heart. Now as we hear that story, the moral of the story is easy to pick up on. Somebody who is self-centered ends up breaking other people's hearts and in the end, like our purple bird, we can end up with the shape of a broken heart. But I think what was so interesting to me the first time I heard that story was just how easy it was for Victor, our purple bird, like it is for me sometimes, to be unaware of ways that my heart might be broken, my heart might be misshapen, how I might even be hurting other people. See, for many of us, we don't recognize the shape of our heart until something like a crisis happens, until something feels really broken. You know, other times it's, it's not even necessarily that I've done something wrong, but just that the world around me has put me under so much pressure that I begin to see that I might not be shaped exactly the way that I hoped I was. So that is the shape that we're looking at today. And what would it look like to reshape my heart? So I want you to think about this for just a second. What is the shape of your heart? Now that can be kind of a philosophical or metaphorical question, but I'll bet none of you probably pictured this. Unless maybe you're a doctor and you're working on hearts all the time. When I talk about your heart, you don't usually picture chambers and ventricles and blood flow, even though this is actually the heart that keeps you alive. Like your heart is central to what your life is. And really that's why when you picture the shape of a heart, we picture this symbol. Because this becomes a symbol for really who you are, deep down your identity, and what you care about. It becomes a symbol for love because those are the things that matter most to me. Right, so you see how that comes together in this shape. But there can be a disparity at times between what I kind of wish the shape of my heart was or, or how I'd like to think that it is, what I mean for it to be, and maybe what it really looks like. And so this is an interesting moment because the Bible is actually going to suggest that God can help with that. So hear me out. The idea is that all of us can be somewhat unaware, like Victor, maybe of something that's not functioning quite right, maybe of something we just haven't learned before, that leaves our heart in a different shape. But as we're looking for new patterns, is it possible that understanding God's heart could actually reshape the way I lead my family, the way I love my spouse or my children? 
Could it actually reshape the way I am around friends or people I work with? Could it actually reshape the conversation, help me to overcome anxiety or the kind of anger and hatred and frustration that we feel in the world all around us? Is it possible that God could actually help reshape my heart? But I know that's kind of a loaded question, right? And it's not really a fair question unless I can first see the shape of God's heart. Right, like if I could pattern my heart after God's, I first need to know what God's heart actually looks like. And so I wanted to share something with you. This actually comes from a book called First John. And it's called that because it's the first letter written by a man named John who was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, he, they were so close, he knew Jesus so well, he actually gets the nickname that he is one of Jesus' loved ones. So you think about your friends, your family, your loved ones, and then John is writing this letter to his loved ones, trying to help them understand how they can love the way Jesus loves. So what does love look like? So this is what John wrote. This is 1 John 4.10. He says, in this is love. All right, here it comes. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John is setting up for them that I'm going to tell you what love is all about. If you want to be able to do that for the people around you, here it comes in this is love. Now there's a word here that you might not know the definition to and that's okay. It's actually not propitiation, although we'll talk about that one too. It's actually love. You see, when we think about love in the English language in the United States in 2020, almost all the time, we're either saying it's my favorite, like I love that movie, or we're thinking of something romantic. But what's interesting is that in the Greek language, they had several different words for love. A word like eros, like where we get our word erotic, that can be the romantic love. A word like phile, where we get the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But this word is actually the word agape. And we'll go into more of what that means but you see the first piece of it here. The first thing about agape love is that God loved first. Now this is unique among world religions. This is really key to the message of the Bible and what Christianity is teaching. Because it says it's not that we love God. right? It's not that I was so impressive to God, I showed him how much I care and how much I wanna be a good person that he finally in the end had to love me back because I was just so impressive. <laughs> because I'm not. Instead, it says that before I even knew God existed, maybe before I even believed God existed, before I was even aware that he had anything that he wanted to offer me to help me in my life, before I loved God, he loved us. Before you ever sat here watching this video or listening to this, God loved you. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then John gives us this proof. He says, let me prove it to you. Here's an example. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here comes that other word. Now, in terms of dictionary definitions, propitiation means to regain the favor of someone by payment. So if we've had a falling out and there's some sense in which I owe you, this is how I make up to you. I offer propitiation so that our relationship can be repaired. But that's still kind of unmanageable. That's like the spelling bee kind of definition, right? But use it in a sentence. Well, essentially what this means is 
The message of the Bible is saying that every one of us has fallen short of God's perfect standard. We haven't lived up to it. We were unlovable. And yet God reached out to us this way. And that because of the ways that we have not lived up to our own standard, let alone a perfect God's standard, the Bible calls that sin. That's really what that word means. Places that we've missed the mark. And because of that, we owe a debt. There's been a crime There's a debt to pay. What God is saying is, when it comes to love, he says, I will go first and I will pay the price for you. There is a penalty you owe, but I'll pay. That's what propitiation means. That's what it's saying that Jesus was doing when he came to earth. Now that's really significant. Because what this means is, That it's not up to me to earn my way to God. If God loved me before I could ever do that, if Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, this is saying that his death paid my price. His death covers my debt. And his life is so that I can have life, so I can experience the love and the gifts of God and that I can actually begin to see that in other places. That's the shape of God's heart. I remember about a year ago, sitting at Authentic Manhood at a, at a table with a few guys, all coming together, trying to figure out, you know, what does it look like to be the best dad I can be, you know, the best husband I can be, the best friend that I can be. I remember watching this guy's face across the table as they described for us the shape of God's heart and this idea that because God is in charge of the entire universe, the way he shows love is that he looks at you and thinks, what can I do to bless and benefit you or this guy that was sitting across the table from me. That God's love initiates like that. And so we had a chance to kind of reflect on like, how would my life be different if I approached other people that way? How could the pattern, the shape of my heart and the pattern for my family be different? Just here's a simple example that we talked about at that table. If when I got home from work, instead of thinking, How can the people inside the house make life better for me when I get in there? You know, if I stop at the front door and think, when I walk through this door, how do I seek what's best for whoever else is in my house right now? Just that kind of shift that really comes because we begin to reshape our heart after God's heart. You see, it allows us to begin to reshape our definition of love. As I mentioned that one of the ways we, we do this is to say like, I love that movie. And my dad would always mess with me when I was a kid. He would tell me, no, you don't. Uh, yes, I do. That's like my favorite movie. Yeah, but you don't love it. <laughs> Look, dad, I don't know what we're trying to argue about, but yes, I do. It's my favorite movie. And he would say, you don't love it. It just makes you feel good. Oh, that's kind of a good point. I enjoy that movie. That movie gives me great feelings, Right? But love can't be based on feelings. You know, I I can't go out of my way to help that movie when it's having a hard day. (laughs) You know, I can't walk into a situation with a movie and try to put the movie's needs before my own. I mean, that's, you see how quickly it breaks down. But in reality, we face a lot of relationships that way. This is one of the things that breaks down in so many marriages is we start with a feeling. That feeling is so strong that we make this commitment then the feelings fade and we think that that means the marriage is fading and and maybe I should look somewhere else. But what if love is not based on feelings? 
what if it doesn't have to be so finicky that like if I'm feeling great today and I'm listening to Justin Timberlake, things are awesome, but tomorrow if I'm not so much and I'm, you know, listening to Sound of Silence or something instead, then, well, I don't, I don't feel so loving today. Instead, we've got an opportunity to reshape our definition. So let's reshape our definition of love and, and try to think about it the way that John is explaining it to us. Because that will begin to reshape our hearts, kind of help us out of that purple bird mindset to really think about the pattern for our families and for our lives. Because in the very next line, John says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he's saying our entire definition of love, the, the pattern, the shape that we're going for is based off of what God did. But think about it. If God, we also. But what is the example that he just gave? That God loved you so much, he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and died. He paid your death penalty so that you could have eternal life. That's it. That's like the message of Jesus in a nutshell. So if God died for you, we also, well, I don't know, am I supposed to die for you? Or I mean, I, mean, I can't pay off my own debt, let alone pay off your debt. I, I need forgiveness for mine. If I could be so bold, you might need forgiveness for yours and we can't do that for each other. So, so what does he mean? If God, we also. Well, I think you could summarize it this way. That the shape of God's heart, our definition of love, is to say, I'll initiate and I'll pay. See, essentially that is what God has done. God says, rather than waiting for you to love me, I'll take the first step. I'll lean in. And when there's something painful, when there may even be something wrong, when it may feel costly, when it may take from my resources things that I don't have to give up, but if I do, it might be better for you. Hey, I'm willing to pay that price to show love. This is why Jesus can teach strange things like love your enemy. Because I'm not waiting on warm, fuzzy feelings for my enemy. I can do this even if my enemy doesn't. Right? I mean, I, I can, like I think about this in, my own relationship with my wife, that when we have an argument, if I'm thinking like the purple bird, I'm pouting in my room because she's probably wrong and she should come say sorry to me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like <clears throat> I'm speaking from experience. But if I'm thinking like God, if my heart is shaped after his, then I'm thinking, I wanna be the first to apologize. There may be things to talk about here. It may not have all been me, but I know it was me in part. And, and even if she's frustrated, even if there's pain here, I'm, I'm willing to receive that. I'm willing to make that sacrifice, pay that cost to initiate, to see love grow in that relationship. I'll initiate, I'll pay. It's almost the exact opposite of the dictionary.com number one definition, which is that love is a deep feeling of affection. See, this helps us when we think we can't stop the feeling, but then the feeling stops, I can keep loving because it's action. It's not just feeling. And that is what God has demonstrated for us. You know, I was reading uh, recently in a book called Make Yourself at Home by Kay Swakowski. And she just tells this story. And, and I'll kind of paraphrase it for you here. But it's the story of a young 
dad and a father who found that he was really succeeding in life. And as he worked harder, he found that he could get even more done. He could advance even more. And so really, in a big way, his achievement became the focus of his life. And it was good things. He was doing great work. It was helping people. But as he did that, honestly, as I look at this, it kind of starts to sound like our, our purple bird, Victor. He realized that what he was leaving out was that he was becoming sort of dismissive and unintentionally maybe hurtful towards his wife and his family because though he never would have said it, well, there will be time for them later. Right now, I've got to get this stuff done. And it wasn't until he hit a crisis in his marriage, one that he caused himself, that he finally started to realize how much that was not only hurting them, it was hurting him. In fact, now that I think about it, this sounds a lot like our purple bird. And so as Kay describes it, he actually went searching for answers and thought, okay, I've heard that God can help with this kind of stuff, so I'll see what God says about it. And he went and he found a Bible and he opened that Bible to a chapter that is relatively familiar because it's widely known as the love chapter. In fact, you hear it a lot at weddings because, well, we're getting married in a church. Maybe someone should read the Bible. I don't know. Is there anything in there about love? How about, uh, how about 1 Corinthians 13? But as he read it this time, he discovered that every word in there suddenly felt like a really practical step to help repair his heart, his life, and his family. So I want you to see those words. And this may sound familiar to you as I read it. And so let me just say, I want you to listen to it a little bit differently because this is not just for weddings. Look at the words it says. Love suffers long and is kind. Now already I feel like I need to pause because what do you mean suffers long? Well, other times you'll see that paraphrased or translated as love is patient, right? It's the idea that even if I disagree with this person, even if my child is giving me attitude, I don't have to make them suffer right away. I can be patient. I can suffer long. I can bear with this while I try to be kind, right? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, right? Doesn't celebrate over something that went wrong and, well, he deserves it and I'm glad that happened to him. But love rejoices in the truth, looks for good things to celebrate, to affirm and to repeat. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The reason that I love these verses, <laughs> to use that word, is because this is not just for weddings. And you notice it doesn't say, love is like a cup of warm hot chocolate on a snowy day. Right? It doesn't say that love is a warm blanket or any of these kind of mixed metaphors or weird things or lovey-dovey, fuzzy, kind of nice, but maybe weak stuff. This is hard. This is challenging, but this is strong. Like this is where love becomes powerful. If I can go into the relationship with my spouse, if I can go into a relationship with my kids, if I can think about the patterns for my family and I'm no longer seeking my own, 
but I'm seeking theirs. Difficult, but rewarding. Then you begin to see how every piece of this definition, not only does it reshape my heart, but it reshapes my family. See, this can reshape the way you show love. And I think you'd be surprised how when you begin to show love this way, people pick up on it. They learn from that example and they want to show love that way too. To the point that like sometimes I feel like my wife and I are having a race for like who can apologize first and she beats me most of the time. (laughs) But I'm working on it. I'm working out. I'm exercising. I'm going to get faster. But it's a beautiful thing when you reshape love this way. In fact, we had that passage read at our wedding as well. And I'm using that as an excuse to show you how beautiful my bride is. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. When I think back to that wedding day, to all of the celebration and all of the vows and everything that's in these verses and suffers long and love is kind and never fails, that's even inscribed on our wedding rings. I'm thinking to myself, and that's gonna be the rest of our lives. But if I'm completely honest with you, I know that for myself, and I don't know if it's too pessimistic to say this, but possibly for every person who's ever had that read at their weddings, we've all failed at least a little bit on at least one of those things. None of us lives up to that perfectly. That's part of why we say that we need Christ's forgiveness. We need Jesus to pay that debt for us and to teach us how to love. Because actually that story that I just read you out of Kay's book, I messed this up so bad, I actually made it into a book. (laughs) That story was about me. Kay Swatkowski is actually a friend of ours and was the marriage counselor that Melissa and I used to see when we still lived in Illinois. In fact, the co-author, Ray Swatkowski, Ray is my personal mentor. He's been my mentor for the last five years. A guy that I knew believed that God had answers to this kind of stuff. That I could go talk to Ray and say, help me understand how God can reshape me. And I have to tell you, when you do that hard work, It's so valuable, so rewarding, so beautiful. And so I'm one of those stories that I know when I hear them from other people, it sounds like, oh, well, isn't that nice for you? But we are one of them. Melissa and I would tell you that our marriage is stronger than ever before. Our love is deeper than ever before because we learned how to let our love be shaped by God's heart. In fact, one of the things that we really learned about that passage, and I I think what changed it for me was that a lot of times in my life, and maybe you feel this, like maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, that's what I want. I wanna grow in that way. I wanna be stronger. I wanna be the best dad, the best wife, the best parent, the best friend. And you can take these tips and you can go work on those things and say, today I'm gonna be patient. But if you're like me, my patience runs out pretty quick. Even if I start the day like full to the brim of patient and kind, for my kids, for my family, for people I work with, whatever that is, I'm amazed how fast I can drain those resources. But here's what I found digging into these words. Back in that letter from Jesus' friend John, another thing that he tells us is, God is love. God is love. Well, if God is love, And love is patient and kind. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. God suffers long 
and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God is not puffed up. He does not behave rudely, does not seek his own. He is not provoked. He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. So I don't know what your relationship with God might be like. I don't know if that's something you're still exploring. You know, maybe, maybe you are where many of us are that I, I'm still trying to understand who he is. I'm still trying to understand this book. I, I want to see more as I question if he's real, if he loves me. But I think John's message to you, and I think the thing that I would encourage you with today is that I know from personal experience, and I know a lot of you watching have been there too, when I try to do this on my own, I run out of resources very quickly. But if I can stop and actually ask God for help, just a simple prayer, then I find that my patience lasts a lot longer. You see, the picture is that, that even if I start with Drew's full resources, they drain quickly. But when I receive God's love, through Jesus, when I accept that forgiveness, when I say, I know that I need your help, so how can we do it together today? Then he begins to pour his resources into me and they're constantly being refilled even as they're drained. And so I can feel the difference on a day where I try to do it on my own compared to a day that I do it with God's help. And so I would actually maybe just suggest this as a key takeaway. Would you be willing to ask God to reshape your heart this week. Now I know that's a bold thing to do, but I think this can be a difference maker. Even if you're just willing to try it. You know, that it can be as simple as like a little prayer in the moment, God, would you help me be patient and kind? I know when I was first working this thing through, like I, I'll tell you more about it sometime, but bedtime can be tough with, at the time I think we had four kids that were like four and under, <laughs> maybe three and under. <clears throat> love is patient, love is kind. Love is patient, <laughs> love is kind. But God will meet us there and he will help us. And I know that some of you, you're doing this. You know how difficult this is. I know for some of us, we feel like a purple bird right now. And so I don't want this to be a guilt trip for you because I know that when I recognize those things and I start giving them to God, there is healing, there is grace, there is forgiveness, and God wants to help. He is the one who loves by saying, I'll initiate, I'll pay, I will help you do this. For some of you, I know that you've been trying to do this. And some of, some of us are in extreme circumstances. You're taking care of an aging loved one and it is a sacrifice every day. Or maybe it's someone in your family who is sick and you're doing the best you can to show love, but you're overwhelmed. You know, maybe it's just as simple as you are those parents whose kids are home all the time right now and you don't know what's going to happen with school. And you're trying to work full time, but the kids are around too and you're trying to balance all this stuff in a different way and you're doing the best you can. You feel like your resources are running out. Just, just let me say, you're doing a good job. You're in the right place. You're aiming the right direction. Ask God for help. In fact, it may just look like a few of these simple one-line prayers. I just grabbed a few of these right out of 1 Corinthians 13 as examples. Because I think what I'd like you to do is that in just a moment, we're going to hear a closing song. It's a song that talks about some different shapes and how confusing it can be to see all of these shapes and yet try to understand the shape of my own heart when it feels like there's a hole there. 
And how do I fill that hole? What is it that fits? And so I'd encourage you to think that maybe what fits is understanding the shape of God's heart. So would you just take the time as you listen to this song and if you want to, maybe just on your phone or grab a piece of paper, write down the name of the people in your immediate family and maybe a one-sentence prayer that you could ask God about them. Maybe it's as simple as saying, God, would you help me be patient and kind to my spouse today? God, would you help me give up being self-focused but really focus on the needs of this other person today? God, could you actively, could you help me actively seek the good for my daughter today? That I know sometimes we can be at odds, but Lord, that I would really seek what is going to be helpful and build her up today. God, would you help me celebrate the good things about my son? Things that I want to affirm in him and and celebrate with him and, and help him to do again. God, would you help me be willing to endure even when the challenge seems so difficult because it's your love through me. So would you take the time to think through those as you hear this song?